Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 16. Remember that if you have questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, send them to michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and that's Michael with a K, or through Facebook, there's a widget on scientifictriathlon.com that uh, you can just click open and uh, and send your message through there, and that'll get right to me, and right now I actually have a ver- fairly short queue of questions, so if you send in your questions right now, you have a good chance of getting them answered very, very quickly on an upcoming Q&A. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to Retool for sponsoring the episode. Retool is a bike fitting technology that uh, collects and analyzes data during your bike fit to help the bike fitter advise you and make the best decisions on your position and potentially products that will help you improve your performance, prevent injuries and increase comfort on the bike. To learn more and to find your nearest Retool Experience Center and schedule an appointment, visit retool.com forward slash TTS. Retool is spelled R-E-T-U-L and I've linked to the URL in the episode description. All right, so the first question for today is from David Shields in the United Kingdom. Uh, David writes, next year I'm doing a monster triathlon in the United Kingdom. It's a five kilometer swim in Loch Ness, followed by five days of cycling to Windsor, which is about 600 miles in total, and then a 50 kilometer run on the final day. So that's a seven day stage race with the first day being a swim, swim and the last day being a run and then biking in between. Do you have any suggestions for a training plan? The race is in June 2019. Uh, it's actually on the 23rd to 29th. I looked it up. In its most basic terms, I'm thinking of dedicating my base period to strength and increasing frequency on the bike and run, and gradually increasing the duration and distance so that by the start of June, I'm confident of doing 100 miles plus on the ride, on the bike, and on on consecutive days, and make sure that I can run at least 20 miles. Uh, But uh, I'm thinking of focusing more on muscular endurance. Uh, the TSS of the week, the, the stage event, uh, will be around 2,500. Is it unrealistic to gradually increase my TSS to, say, 1,500 a week, say, four weeks before the race, before tapering off? All right, thanks for your question, David. Uh, I'm sure you probably listened to last week's Q&A as well, Q&A number 15, but I did answer a sort of similar question on ultra-distance triathlons, and in that case it was the Swissman triathlon. So if you haven't listened to that, make sure you go and listen to it. I'll link to it in the description. Uh, it has some uh, some points that, that I think apply to your question as well. Just as a quick summary, what I said then is that for these sort of extreme ultra-triathlons, even if yours is a bit different being a stage race, but even so, it doesn't make much sense for us mere mortals to train much differently than just a really solid Ironman training program. So some things that you would have in a good Ironman program that you should have in your training program as well is, of course, a big day. And in your case, I think probably several big days where you have really long days on the bike. As you alluded to, 100-mile rides on consecutive days. I think that would be a brilliant thing to do on on a weekend to 100-mile to rides, as well as having a, a long run 
after a couple of days of really long or hard cycling in general when you're basically really fatigued so so those big days uh, those are important mainstays of mainstays of your program uh, and trying to simulate race conditions of course you're going from Loch Ness to, to Windsor so uh, you will probably have a, a variety of conditions so that might be difficult but if you can then uh, that is great you mentioned muscular endurance i'm sure that there will be some hilly parts on the bike so and and on the run potentially as well so if you can find those and uh, go and do simulate race conditions just go out and ride on hilly courses run on hilly courses then that's brilliant Uh, it's not just about simulating conditions it's also just about basic building up muscular endurance as you say and then another thing that any good Ironman program that uh, should have and that you also should have is to practice race nutrition. Uh, make sure that you can tolerate consuming a large amount of energy during your days. And also make sure that you can burn fats effectively. So I recommend doing one to two glycogen depleted sessions per week uh, to train that fat utilization. So that can be fasted workouts or depleted workouts as a second workout in a day after a harder morning workout. And then finally, the final thing that I mentioned in the last episode, which every Ironman program should have and that uh, these ultra triathlons also should have, you already mentioned muscular endurance. So finding those hilly courses, doing low cadence work on the bike, uh, paddles on the swim. So the idea here, again, as I mentioned last time, is to uh, to make your fast twitch type 2A muscle fibers a bit more endurance-like, give them more endurance capabilities uh, so that you can last longer uh, in in your race because you will at some point be starting to use those fast twitch fibers and if they are easily fatigable which they are in general then uh, that's a big negative and you can work to make them more endurance like with that muscular endurance training uh, so but in in this case for your particular race uh, there, there is uh, a couple of things that uh, that I would change compared to an Ironman program or even compared to something like the Swissman. And uh, in particular, it's a much heavier focus on the bike since this event seems so heavily weighted towards uh, the bike with five days of biking, 600 miles, compared to just five kilometers of swimming. So that's really uh, just uh, a drop in the, wo- in the ocean in comparison. And, and even the 50-kilometer run doesn't seem that much and i would say that uh, that the run in fact will come down a lot to how much bike fitness you have so so how well you can recover from those 600 miles over five days so so even the run will require a lot of bike training so in a typical ironman program i like to distribute the training at around about depending on the athletes of course but generalizing a bit here 45 percent cycling 30 percent running and 25 percent swimming uh, but for you you might want to bump your distribution up to 55 or even perhaps up to 60 percent cycling uh, and uh, so that is the one big thing that i would uh, that would definitely change compared to to a standard ironman program and for your general training structure, I think you're definitely on the right track, as I, as I said, with those goals of doing a couple of 100-mile rides back-to-back at the beginning of June. That would be like three or four weeks before the race, as you said. And making sure that you can run 20 miles in a heavy block of training. You might even potentially, if you have a running background, go a little bit longer than that. Like if, if you're not scared of getting injured, that sort of thing. But that comes down to 
how much of a running background do you have if you don't have much of a running background then 20 miles is probably uh, as much as you would want to go perhaps in training on the bike i would err on the side of uh, doing longer rides rather than more frequent rides of course if you can do both then <laughs> that's great but uh, but let's give an example if if you ride 10 hours per week in a standard training week during winter or spring then i would prefer that you split it up over four rides that might be one four-hour ride one three-hour ride one two-hour ride and one one-hour ride compared to splitting it up over six rides that would be shorter in duration uh, because things happen like for the event that you're training for especially but even for also for ironman and half ironman racing i, I would probably say the same thing if you have 10 hours i would split them up this way rather than over six rides because things happen on a cellular level in the fourth or even third hours of the rides that don't happen in the first or second but of course you have to do the first two hours to get there or three hours to get there so so that is basically it's, it's a traditional base building block with with high volume but for what you're trying to do i think that's what you need so err on the side of uh, of longer longer rides compared to more frequent rides but of course you should have a minimum number of rides per week so so free rides I, I think is the absolute minimum uh, that you should have for for this event so so it depends on how much time you have to spare but this gives you one example on the run however i think that to prevent injuries and again this comes down to a bit what your athletic background is on the run side specifically but i think it's smart to at least at the beginning emphasize frequency more than duration of your individual runs and uh, then as you have built up a solid base then i think that your long run becomes one of your absolute key weekly sessions and uh, here it's just a case of gradually building up the uh, the distance or the duration of that of that run maybe increased by an average of one mile per week or five to ten minutes per week over three months or so so that you get to that 20 miles or even a bit more when when you're three or four weeks out from from the event one sneaky way that you can get in sort of a long run but with less injury risk is to do double run days so you might do instead of doing a two-hour run in one go you might do a 90 minute run in the morning and then you come back in the in the afternoon or evening and do a 45 to 60 minute run so you actually get in a longer volume but you have less risk of injury because you don't go that full two hours you go only 90 minutes in the longest one and uh, then maybe 45 to 75 minutes in the evening so this is safe safer way to add to add some of the effects of a long run to your program so perhaps one example of a, a way that you can use this is to alternate your long run build up so that every other week you have a continuous run and every other week you have this uh, double run long run day and then those weeks when you have the double run day your total duration might actually be maybe 20 minutes or so longer than than it would be on your continuous day so you can actually start from a higher starting point there you mentioned strength and yes i would definitely do strength training for something like this because especially because of the amount of training that you will probably be doing to make sure that you stay healthy through that training and can handle the training then i think strength training will be key so definitely make sure that you you do that uh, even if it's just getting into the gym once per week and then supplementing with with 15 minute core workouts 
three more times per week, then that's uh, that's going to make a world of difference for you. And also be diligent about mobility. Try to go and see a, a physical therapist or a massage therapist uh, every month or so. That that will be another key session for you, really. And you should consider it as desk, to consider it as a key workout to go and do that. And muscular endurance, as you mentioned, yes, again, it's uh, it is really key. So so go and do those hills, do that low cadence work on on the run uh, on the on the bike, sorry, and uh, and do those hills on the run and the bike and and potentially some paddles on the swim. Although on the swim, I think it's much less important than than on the bike and on the run. But uh, that said, it's important that you don't make the mistake of just training long and slow all the time. Your muscular endurance workouts, they they should not they can start at easier intensities, but pretty quickly you can build up to make them, for example, sweet spot intensity on the bike, even threshold intensity and on the run, same sort of thing. High zone three, low zone four, up to threshold when you're do, running those hills. And uh, so so that's one way to include include intensity as part of those muscular endurance workouts. But also remember that the body likes variety. So I would not train all the way until the end of June and never going above threshold. So I would definitely go above threshold. So for example, if I were coaching you, what I would do is probably I would uh, I would sneak in some blocks, like a three-week block of VO2 max focus. And that three-week block would have significantly lower volume compared to your standard training week. Uh, but uh, because you are doing those higher intensity sessions, you you need to reduce volume to to reap the full benefits of those workouts. So that's something that you you can do, and you might also have another couple of blocks where you do a fair amount of training focused around your threshold. And that might be on both sides of the tres- threshold. So so somebody is, is slightly below and somebody is slightly above that sort of thing. So so make sure that you you don't neglect neglect the the higher intensities. Also, the neuromuscular work, like including including strides in your in some of your easy runs, and and including some some cadence spin ups on the bike, and and some some short twenty five meter sprints uh, on the swim in in the build sets to your main sets. Those those are great ways to include some some speed work that is not taxing but really beneficial uh, neuromuscularly. Make sure always that you keep the balance between the volume and the intensity. Again, if you try to do that VO2 max block in a 30-hour week on top of a job and family, then that probably will not work out well for you. So, so you need to find strike to try to balance. Finally, regarding that uh, 1500 TSS week, that would almost certainly be close to a 30-hour training week. And uh, I would not even try to go there unless... Uh, unless you can build up to that volume over a period of two months or so. And that means that you should be starting at 20 hours in, in that first week of the two-month period. So so unless you're prepared to train 20-plus hours per week for two months or more, then, then forget about that idea. I, I don't think it's necessary. I, I, the way that you should approach this and think about it is uh, ask yourself, how much time do you actually have available to train? And then do your best with that with that time simply and the second question is how much training have you been able to handle in the past so for example if the maximum training volume that you've ever sustained over a period of for example one month if that uh, maximum volume was 15 hours per week let's say for example then i think that uh, in that example you might 
go to 20 hours per week over a one month period but no more than that 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 would just be too much too much risk for too little reward so because you can't make two big jumps keep in mind that really deep fitness it's built over years and years of consistent training at relatively high volumes Uh, so you can't just shortcut all of that and, and build it over six or six month period it's uh there's no point trying to bite off bite off more than you can chew simply so uh so look at how much you've been able to handle in the past and use that as a starting point to see how much might make sense to try to handle over any given duration in uh, in this build to to this uh, stage race all right, David, I hope that this helps. Uh, good luck with the race. It's a really exciting and interesting one. Definitely let me know how it goes, and I'll give you a shout-out on the podcast after that race. Our next question is from Tommy Räsänen from Finland. Uh, he writes that uh, he writes in Finnish, so I'm not going to, uh, to read this uh, verbatim, but uh, basically the question is about recovering from, uh, from races. So if you've done, for example, a half distance race or or even like a half marathon, then your legs you might have muscle fatigue and uh, and have a difficult time to uh, to hit any sort of intensities. Uh, but uh, Tommy's question is: Should you just go and train lightly, or should you actually try to do some harder sessions after races? Why or why not? And uh, yeah, basically elaborate on on how you should. Think about training when you are coming back after after a race. So this is quite a complex question because it really depends on your entire season plan. Uh, so things like what events do you have coming up next after the race that you just did and that you're recovering from? And what are their priorities? And, and what was the priority of the race that you just did, for example? So, so I'll try to give a few principles and and a couple of examples to help you figure out based on your own racing calendar and your own goals and priorities. So first, you have to listen to your body. That's the that's the most important thing to do. I'll get back to this point in in just a few minutes, but uh, but just be clear that there's no one size fits all solution here. You need to do what's best for your individual body and and you need to listen to it and and consider what uh, it needs to recover and not what somebody else's body needs to do to recover. Uh, Second, be very diligent with sleep and uh, nutrition and hydration uh, after the race. And that's not just the day of the race, but also the days after the race, because this will really significantly speed up recovery. If you can get a massage or two in the days after the race, then that is also a great bonus, but it is absolutely no replacement or nowhere near as important as sleep, hydration, and nutrition. Uh, also, unless the race is your last race of the season or you have a planned mid-season break after the race, for example, if you do a, a spring, late spring Ironman and then you have a, a two-week break before starting to train for for a second Ironman in in the late late fall Uh, unless you have that sort of situation with a break after race then in general it's uh, I would recommend keeping training as early as uh, next day Uh, a nice relaxing swim with uh, with just a pool boy or buoyancy shorts or something like that Uh, that will help you help you get your muscles into movement and, and it will help you just keep ticking over keep up consistency and getting in some aerobic endurance training and and definitely then for the following days adding in easy running or biking and this will depend on what the race you just did was and uh, we'll get to a few of those points here in some upcoming points that i 
listed out here. Uh, the next point that I have is if your race was a longer race, so like a half or full Ironman or marathon, uh, so half marathon or half Ironman or full marathon or full Ironman, and you had a long training build-up to it, then uh, don't jump straight back into into very high volume the next week. Then I would recommend that you do a transition week, which in a way is like a reverse taper. So you gradually increase volume, but the overall volume of the week will still be quite a bit lower than than your peak weeks or even just your normal training weeks. If, on the other hand, the race was a sprint or an Olympic distance race or maybe a, a 5K or, or a 10K on the run, and and it wasn't what you were peaking for, maybe it was a B or a C race, then you can keep up your training volume right away from the following week, usually at least. You might, though, want to take two to four days after the race as uh, no intensity days, at least on the bike and the run. Uh, but here, this is where you need to let your body be your guide. It doesn't really matter how much you want to get back quickly into hard, high-intensity training, because if your body is not ready to train hard, uh, it isn't ready to absorb training, then it makes no sense. You're only going to dig yourself into a hole. You're not going to benefit from that training, and you will only put yourself at risk from uh, from getting into a state of uh, state of more chronic fatigue. So, uh, so definitely listen to your body. It will tell you if you are ready to train hard or not. Uh, you will feel it in your muscles. You will feel some deep muscle fatigue if you're not ready to train hard. And uh, let's say, for example, you go out and try to do some threshold intervals on the bike or the run. Then uh, either you maybe can't even hit that intensity at all for a certain number of days after, for example, a half half Ironman or half marathon. And at least not, you You maybe plan to do something like four times eight minutes, but you notice after the first minute that uh, that you can't go on any longer. So then that's a clear sign that your body is not ready to train hard. And you just have to accept that. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. You just need to let it recover a bit more. In addition to the muscle fatigue that you'll feel in training and even outside of training, uh, a great additional tool to monitor your overall recovery from the race is HRV, heart rate variability. We've talked about that in several episodes in the past, and uh, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it does add a very valuable dimension of information to guide your decision-making process for if you're ready to get back into training. And uh, as you know, I love the HRV for Training app for monitoring HRV. I interviewed the founder, Marco Altini, back in episode something that I'll link to in the episode description. So check that out and download the app if you aren't already using it. I can't recommend it enough. And yeah, I am also an HRV for Training ambassador, as I mentioned in the last couple of episodes for 2019. And then the next point that I have on my list is that especially after events... Uh, that include long run distances, like either half or full Ironmans or just pure half or full marathons. The risk of injury is significantly increased for some time after the race. So trying to get back to intense training too soon is uh, not worth that risk. And especially like the this risk of, of injury and also overtraining, it, it is exponentially more difficult and you should be exponentially more careful after the full version so after a full Ironman or a full marathon compared to a half Ironman or a half marathon for most athletes at least if you have a couple of years of experience under your belt uh, most athletes can handle the half distances pretty well and it doesn't take too much out of them at the end of the day 
compared to the full versions but the full versions you need to be really really careful with them and uh, it takes time to recover from them so you need to to give your body that time but anyway what i'm uh, getting sidetracked here a little bit uh, the risk of injury after races where you have a long run segment is, uh, is significantly increased for some time uh, how long is it increased for well it's individual so there's no clear-cut answer but uh, if you do have the luxury on time then you should definitely err on the side of caution after these events and uh, you can still get back to running i think fairly quickly and uh, build up your volume again but uh, definitely limit your run intensity so for example a generic piece of advice would be that uh, that after a half marathon or half ironman uh, perhaps the week after the race you you don't do much or any intense run training so these are a lot of points in uh, some order but uh, not some of the points were not in any particular order uh, the, the main thing is to listen to your body and also be diligent with sleep nutrition and hydration if if you do those two things then you can't go much wrong but you might not be able to follow a clear plan you might need to play it by ear uh, but to finish up, let me give you a couple of examples on how you need to look at this in the context of the other races that you're doing. So this is from my personal race calendar for this year, for 2019. My first A race of the season will be Challenge Lisbon in mid-May. and uh, But our race season starts from February with some duathlons and then some sprint and Olympic triathlons from March. So let's say, for example, that I do a sprint or Olympic triathlon sometime in, in April. Then what I would do after that, since those would be B or C races, most likely C races, to be honest, I would, uh, whereas the Challenge Lisbon is, a, is an A race, I would take Monday as an easy day. Tuesday, I would already do a hard swim uh, and easy bike and run or bike or run. Wednesday, I might already be back and do a hard bike. And Thursday, I might be back and do a hard run. So, so I would only take two easy days with, or two days with no hard biking and running, but only one easy day because I would already do a hard swim on the Tuesday. The overall vo- overall volume of that week after the race will be just a normal training week. So I will I will do a lot of volume, no no real reduction in in volume. Uh, it would uh, perhaps be a little bit shifted with a little bit less training the first couple of days after the race, but not much so really because I can, I know I can do a lot of easy training and it uh, it won't really make a big difference. So uh, so yeah, same volume, but uh, the proportion of easy training will be higher than normal compared to to high intensity training. Although I will be back and do high intensity training midweek and the end of the week. So in a way, I'm just looking at the sprint or Olympic distance race as uh, as a very hard workout that's part of uh, the training program program and it and as it is a workout essentially, it uh, doesn't really affect the rest of my program significantly. Uh, so that is in theory. In reality, if my body after the race tells me that I'm not ready to train hard, even though I have a hard workout scheduled, of course I listen to the body and uh, and uh, reschedule or like skip that hard workout, do something just easy instead. So the second example is uh, after Challenge Lisbon, which will be, it's a half distance race and it's uh, one of my A races for this season. And after that, I have about seven weeks until my next A race, which will be a non-draft Olympic distance race. I will by that time have had a long and hard buildup to the Challenge race. 
and uh, then a very hard race, of course. Let's hope it's not too long. <laughs> I don't want that. Uh, but uh, there will definitely be a time when it's appropriate to have a week of significantly lower volume and uh, very minimal intensity. And that is even though I will also have had a one-week taper leading into the race. So that essentially means that I will have had two weeks of uh, low-volume training, low-intensity training, although I had that long hard race. Sorry, not long race, but hard race in the middle of it. Uh, But at that point, I know that my body will need it and it will benefit from it in the long run. That will put me in a a great place to then do one more really solid block of hard training before the next A race. So it's really important that I don't get greedy and try to get back too soon because then the only thing that that will do is that it will make the rest of the block before the next A race, it will make it of lower quality compared to if I actually take the time, I am patient and take that week as a low volume low intensity week so there you go Uh, those are some things to consider and some examples to help you decide at the end of the day you'll need to learn for you how your body works and what it needs and then put that in into context of your season planning and your race priorities and your race goals but i hope that this was helpful So that's it for the questions for this week. I'll link in the show notes to uh, Q&A number 15, which uh, had that information on uh, on, uh, the the Swissman triathlon, which I mentioned in the first question. And I'll also link to uh, Marco Altini's uh, interview on the show about HRV for training. Uh, Also, if you're new to the show, make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes as they are released. And if you have been a listener for a long time, it would uh, mean the world to me if you could go and rate and review the podcast uh, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. That is uh, how we keep spreading the word about it and keep getting more listeners to it. That is what helps attract sponsors to the show. And uh, at the end of the day, that helps keep the show going and keep it alive uh, massive shout out to everybody who has been rating and reviewing they keep trickling in and uh, everybody that uh, does rate and review makes a massive difference uh, shout out here specifically to uh, mickey try dubai who writes six star triathlon podcast uh, superb practical technical content delivered uh, concisely and specifically to promote the individual's improvement through understanding and application of relevant information. Congratulations and thank you for an outstanding contribution to our sport and c- community. Thank you so much, and Mickey Try Dubai, for that. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much to our sponsor, Retool, that you can find on retool.com forward slash TTS. The link is in the episode description. On that page, you can find your nearest authorized retool center and schedule an appointment uh, to get comfort, performance, aerodynamics, and injury prevention by way of an exceptional bike fit. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.